Oh my god, welcome to another edition of Death Metal Welcome to our show, Death Metal Dicks. If you're unfamiliar, what we do here is take grisly true crimes and paranormal events and dissect them to the tune of our favorite death metal songs. Mm -hmm. So welcome back into the void with Christopher Pierce and Buddy Lloyd. Tonight is one that we've been super excited for. What we like to do is a couple of uh, serious, in-depth, two-parter episodes. This one ended up being three. Can you believe that, buddy? I can. And we have gone out of our way to spend hours and hours researching all the crimes associated with and the backstory of true black metal. True with a V, buddy. I know. Yeah. I love black metal. I, I love it. It's my it, favorite genre. It should be. Uh, it's a genre that's actually remained controversial even through today. You know, everything when you were a child, you would hear like Marilyn Manson or uh, Slipknot or something like that as like a nine-year-old. And your parents would be terrified of some masked man telling you about a serial killer or pretending to be crucified to a piece of ham or whatever Marilyn Manson was doing. Right. And that would freak him out. Uh, black metal is the origin of really pushing music over the edge. It's a group of guys that were young. Uh, They're frustrated with the culture that they lived in, uh, as we'll find out for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they really pushed music as far as it could possibly go. And nothing is ever compared to where they took it. Nothing will compare to how it got there. And everything today that you would consider controversial is either along the same lines of the original message they wanted to put out or, interesting enough to today's sociopolitic climate, we will talk about in episode 3, National Socialist Black Metal. Oh, great. So, Black Metal has got many things underneath its umbrella. Most all of them have tried to push the envelope as far as possible. You'll be shocked with some of the things we get into that were done in the name of music. Yep. It's gonna be a fucking wild ride. It sure is. And, you know, the way Black Metal started, the way it got into Western culture, is it was given to us by popular metal magazines in the early 90s. It was labeled as the genre that finally went too far with metal. Death metal had already come out. You had bands like Napalm Death. Uh, you had the original band that was really just up front claiming the banner of Satan, Venom. You know, you had Ozzy, who was flirting around with the idea, even as far back as Black Sabbath, that like, hey, we may loosely be satanic. Venom came right out with it and were really tongue-in-cheek about being a satanic band. And that type of thing is what inspired these guys to be fans of death metal, which was mostly about murder. Take that heavy style of shocking abrasive music and then apply the satanic message to that. And I'll explain the reason why um, in just a moment. But 
magazines like Kerrang! saw an opportunity to make a quick buck off of these guys that were doing crazy shit. It's easy to do because they're kind of isolated off of Norway. By the time it got to America and even England, um, they had been doing this genre for about five years and were actually getting kind of frustrated that they weren't building up steam outside of Norway yet because they were watching popular Swedish death metal bands get huge and be able to go to America and Canada and Japan and start touring the world. Well, they wanted a piece of that action. Now, I'm not saying that everything they did was motivated by getting a piece of fame, but you'll find out that as with anything in art that ends up lending a big hand to where we're going to go. And so there was an article that Kerrang! put out, and that's when these guys were in their late teens and early 20s. Kerrang! basically said that they were burning churches, sacrificing animals, and they had gone so far as to sacrifice a person to Satan, and that they were planning a legitimate war against the rest of the world in the name of Satan. So people got up in arms. You know, they had so many pictures of themselves posing with weapons, but like carnival weapons. You know, these guys weren't like having guns in their pictures and shit yet. They were just being goofy-ass kids like we all did. When you went to the fair and you went to the ninja booth and you went in there wanting a ninja star, but then you saw a knife that had brass knuckles attached to it. Oh, yeah. And you're 13, of course you're going to try to get that. And they'll sell it to you. It's a goddamn carnival. They're not responsible for anything. If you think about the world's most misanthropic people, it actually probably is carnival workers. It is. I remember, like, throwing the uh, darts at the balloons and winning some fucking fingerless leather gloves. Boy, I rode the hell out of my bicycle with those sons of bitches. That sounds about right. Do you still have them? <laughs> nope. Um, yeah, so what I wanted to do with this three-part podcast is to give you a really non-bias, strictly-to-the-facts account of black metal in a way you've never heard it before. No bullshit. Uh, the most popular piece of literature in all of black metal is a book called Lords of Chaos. And there's a movie coming out about the book. Unfortunately, that being the foremost authority on this genre, it's chalked full of shit. Yeah, it's it's mostly fiction. It's like 10% truth, then the rest is just utter bullshit. And the problem with that, to me, is that they sell it as though it's all fact. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great book, man. It's just, like I said, it's just like fucking reading a fairy tale. It, it's it's full of shit. I mean, period. They should have prefaced it with, based on a true story, yeah. you know? But instead, they gave it, and I know this is probably boring to touch up at the top. I just want to make sure people know, if you check our resources, Lords of Chaos is not one of them because I know it's biased. I know it's full of shit. Uh, I want to clear up up top before we go down and explain what the whole thing is. There was no such thing as the black circle. Yep. It wasn't a real situation. Nope. And that is what you'll find in everything you look at. It gives like a shocking thing. And I'll tell you the entire origin of it and how it got there. I just want you to know where we're at because I think it's important as uh, metalheads to give you a fair representation. I don't want someone that likes black metal and death metal as much as we do to listen to the podcast and and uh, go, oh man, you guys are illegitimate and not authentic to the uh, to the culture. That's uh, my first and foremost thing, which sounds hilarious now that I say it. We gotta stick for the culture. And even though the culture is fucking 
white dudes being dorks in Norway. <laughs> yep. Mm. All right. Well, what I wanted to uh, to get into first is uh, probably a good jumping off point, I think. Well, before we get into that, let's uh, plug all of our shit, okay? All right. I've already made it boring enough up top. Um, did you do anything this week? Anything you want to give no. us? Okay. Never. Super important. I think there's like six tickets to Kyle Kinane. I would love for you fans of the show to be the six people that buy the last ones. I know you guys bought a lot of them because after last Tuesday we had like 20 left, something like that, and we sold most of those all off. And then I went and measured and we were able to add a few more tickets. So you guys are buying tickets. Man, when you come out on Saturday, you're going to see me do a set. You're going to have fun with that if you've never seen it before i'm excited to be able to do that into a sold out room of people with one of my favorite comedians and i want you to come up afterwards and talk to me don't be uh don't be a weirdo i won't be a weirdo i want to make conversation i don't have anything to sell i got no ulterior motive i want to shake your hand and look at your face so let's do that you know what i'm saying what if somebody asks you to finger him but it's only a guy though if it's a guy will for sure yeah i'll give you a finger too whatever who cares uh but yeah come out to that yeah follow me and buddy on facebook just give us an ad i've gotten a few friend requests i'll prove you i don't care what's it matter it's not a real world we're living in it's a simulation buddy what if what if it's a fuck bot uh, I won't add that. I'm smarter than that. That's <laughs> what a weird thing. They're all three names now. You notice yeah. that? And it's like, that's their game. Like, why add a third name in the mix? Did they run out of two name combinations? They had to have. You get so many of them. Yeah, there's some, like, real, like, crazy names on there. I'm like, man. What happens if you approve them? I don't get it. What's the hustle with the fuckbot? I don't know. What's the end game? Like, do people get driven to the site? <laughs> Buddy looked at our producer, Mark. Like, I'm, I want to know. I don't know if anybody. Well, can... You're touching a computer. <laughs> you must know. What if they just take your email address and they figure out your home address and send you a flashlight? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'd take that. <laughs> yeah. I had all the money to them. I got a flashlight, man. I got it a real illegitimate way, too. That's a story for another time. Oh, uh, we're on Facebook at Death Metal Dicks. Our parent company is professional pyramedia i the likes are cli- slowly climbing up i don't know i know it's a lot of effort on your guys part to do these things but man it makes a big difference for all of us that are producing the show and doing the show just uh give professional pyramedia a like on facebook on youtube instagram all across the board they got everything under the same name and then uh they've got a, a podcast called making a mark that's about wrestling it's tremendous They've got the flagship podcast where our producer Mark sits down with a guest and they shoot the shit about basically the city of Little Rock, which if you're from out of town, what could be more interesting to you than learning about uh, the type of dumb shit we do down south here? Yep. Oh, Little Rock is... Yeah, well, we make the most of it. This is where, this is the epicenter for good times, right here in Mark's studio room. (laughs) <laughs> nothing's better than tongue-tying buddy uh but yeah man keep the likes coming keep the uh five-star ratings coming man we're uh popping up now on itunes if you just type in death we're getting in the mix you can look up btk and find us it's all about that sweet sweet internet marketing buddy you know what i'm saying yep we're ready to cash this fucker in <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah just give us reviews share us with your friends i mean if you like what we're doing here the best way for us to do more of it is if you'll just get your friends on board. I know they'll like it. I love it. 
we are having a ton of fun and we want you to fucking start square one and not be a poser. Imagine if you could have gone into the first wave of black metal and sat down with those bands. And and you would be the only person in the whole world that's not a poser. Man, you just you just hear fucking uh, Celtic Frost for the first time? Yeah, you jump on that train, oh, Celtic man. Frost and Venom, and then it's all, you know, you're part of the crew. But uh, you miss that boat. Don't miss this boat. Don't be a poser. When we're fucking got a... When there's a third wave of death metal detective podcast, you want to be on the original shit. Let's get together. Let's put patches on our jean jackets. Let's draw death metal dicks on our trapper keepers. You know what I'm saying? Fuck yeah. All right. Now we're going to get into the episode. So again, I just wanted to preface all the bullshit. Sorry to drop that on you on top. We'll get into the interesting shit now. And I think a good place to start off at is uh, right at Helvet. The record store where most of these guys hung out at, alright? It is the trans it's the Swedish word for hell. It was hell the record store. Now, something to understand about the climate of Norway at the time, which basically made all this shit possible, is that their economic climate was and mostly still is, if you're pursuing an artistic endeavor, you get a stipend. In other words, they pay you to do a successful project. So let's say me and Buddy started a black metal band. They wouldn't start paying us right away, but once we had something together and could prove to the government that we're touring and shit, they're going to give us enough money to live off of, may it be meager, and also pursue our music. So all these guys are in bands. Euronymous, and I'm going to do a full character run-through, yeah. owns this record store. His parents helped him get it, but now that he owns it, the way that the system works in Norway is that they're paying him money to have the record store. So all these things that you're thinking like, how did they have time to do this? How were they able to sit around and come up with this crazy shit? It's all because the fucking Norse government is the greatest in the world. They just pay you money to be an artist. Now... I don't want to start harping on capitalism here and come hard and catch some political flack, but when you hear that they pay 50% in taxes, but they also have a basic income. So if you work a regular-ass job and the guy that lives next door to you works a high-paying job, let's say he pulls in $100,000 a year, let's say you pull in 20000 well he's still going to make his 100000 he's going to pay half of that money into taxes let's say you make 20000 well you'll make that 20000 and then you will gain also from your basic income like another 25000 so it puts you in the median of 45000 and then you pay the taxes off of that so essentially they make sure that every citizen in and this is in the 90s i think it's still like that they used to not allow immigration and i know that changed in the early 2000s however paying 50 percent of your taxes and then if you were making the hundred thousand dollars all of your health care is covered so like it's a pretty good give and take there whole point is for an artist it's the greatest civilization so that is funny in itself to me that these are basically a bunch of spoiled ass kids that get to make black metal for a living, and they're super mad about it. Oh, yeah, they're pissed. They're ready to fuck your shit up. And if you haven't heard black metal, the entire idea is it should sound like 
The ice-cold darkness of a Norwegian forest. They're very in tune with nature, and what they're mad about is the Christian church coming into Norway. And I fully agree with this point, and that's where a lot of things got twisted up with the black metal thing coming off the top. The easiest thing for the media to say about black metal is, oh, they're a satanic group. This is coming right off of Satanic Panic, which was in the 80s. And if you remember the Satanic Panic, it's hilarious because there was supposedly a daycare where there was this group of kids <laughs> and there was adults watching out for the kids. And the adults were demonic priests that worked for the Illuminati. And they had rich and powerful men from all over the world come and kidnap the kids and take them to weird sex dungeons. One of them was down the toilet. They would flush the kids down the toilet and then snake demons would come up and spread the kids open for high-ranking government officials to have demonic orgies with. And this shit was spread around like it was gospel. Because people couldn't believe that a kid could come up with all this shit. But basically, it ended up happening that these kids were completely led into it. And these kids were just fed and fed and fed and fed bullshit after bullshit after bullshit after bullshit where they started believing it was fucking true, which is horrifying. Because yeah. if you're a kid and you really believe that between the hours that your mom and dad went to work, you got transported off to hell to watch Mitt Romney buttfuck John Kerry and rub your face in their asshole. <laughs> what would be worse? There's a lot worse. Bury your face in a... For a six-year-old... Rosie O'Donnell's asshole. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. way worse. You're taking Mitt Romney over Rosie? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I'm taking that deal. I, Mitt Romney? Well, yeah. he's pretty clean. I guess hey, look Mitt. At the, that guy is a strong jawline. Yeah, he's in shape, too. He don't, For some reason, I was thinking Mitt Romney was someone else. He's the fucking uh, in-shape Mormon guy. Yeah, I'd probably yeah, take Mitt yeah, over yeah, Rosie. I, yeah, fair I, point. Yeah. He probably shaves his asshole. He seems like a real asshole shaver. He's a waxer. He's precision groomed, I'll tell you that. Rosie O'Donnell is probably quite unkempt. Yeah, that's like trying to rub your face into fucking cat whiskers. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably got so much toilet paper in her pubes. <laughs> She's oh, just God. like a giant bush with little flecks all over it. You ever seen one of those? What is it? Like a big bush with toilet paper flecks in it. Yeah. Like the first puss I ever saw was like that. It was horrifying. You just don't know what you're getting into. And I never had, like, uh, strong parental guidance to lead me down the path of anything. And the only porn I had ever watched was real sex, which, for fuck's sake, it's always, like, grannies shoving carrots into each other or talking about fucking tantric tea. Yeah, or people dressing up like babies and wearing diapers and then, like, having, like, like... Not really hot girls, but like ones that you're like, oh, they're trashy enough. And then they just change your diaper and suck your dick and then put the diaper back on and like, you know. Yeah, real sex was the worst. It was fucking, phew. Anyway, point being, this was an easy time to captivate your audience. It's before the goddamn internet, which really started shining a light onto everything. What we're trying to say here is that the satanic panic was total bullshit. We all know it now, but it swept the talk show circuit. Even like Oprah Winfrey and shit. They had this on CNN. Every major news network was covering this fucking story about these kids being sold to the Illuminati. And what's crazy about that, man, is that while that was going on, there was a pretty legitimate situation where a guy in Seattle was actually kidnapping kids and 
uh, fucking very high-ranking government officials were abusing the kids. And that was real. So basically, the satanic panic was probably a giant media cover-up of that smaller-scale story. But everyone's brain was on this idea that there was this dark, satanic underground below the surface of regular life that was ready to come into the light and take over the innocence of our culture. Did you ever see the... uh Michael Aquino live on Geraldo Rivera and there's a guy talking about like he was part of a sacrifice and yes and Michael Aquino's like no you weren't there he's like that's not what Satanism is about and you're full of shit right and then uh the guy just starts naming all the stuff he's like but you're a high-ranking government official Michael Aquino is uh I think he's part of he's high-ranking NSA agent or something like that yeah so everybody was like, well, I know that guy sacrificed babies. Look at that, mother- <laughs> yeah, Look at that motherfucker's eyebrows. Do you see that dude's eyebrows? Oh, they're wild as hell. They're, they got that point, dude. They're, they're metallic eyebrows, dude. They're like. But, hey, wasn't uh, Michael Aquino like into worshiping Set for real, though? Like, wasn't that his that was the deal? He was uh, one of the original members of the Church of Satan with LeVay, but he started yeah. his own sect where he was like. They, they worshiped Set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he was a uh, to him set represented Satan. So in that way, he was like a theistic Satanist. Well, yeah, set is Satan. It's just like a the Sumerian version of Satan, right? Egyptian. You sure? Yep. No, because the let's all right. First of all, I don't want to argue with you on a podcast, but the Egyptian guy is fucking uh, Horus. Horus. No, that's the Egyptian. Egyptian and set and uh, Horus are Egyptian. You're thinking of Marduk. Oh well. Who gives a fuck? Bottom line, (laughs) Satan's cool as hell. Had this shit happen, it'd be fucking awesome. It didn't. The devil's never been around. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has ever made contact with Satan through human sacrifice. If you have and do and have proof, I won't tell anybody. Just bring me along. I'll shut the fuck up about it. I'll stop doing everything in the public eye and join you. Allegedly. Me too, allegedly. <laughs> but Kerrang is responsible for this shit, and I would definitely fist fight this guy if I could, because this is where it all got corrupted as far as metal goes. Not talking about mainstream media. Yeah. But to give in to the idea, you know better, they're not worshiping Satan. What they were doing is using satanic imagery to be anti Christian which is what most of us do. And now the Christian church, and that is definitely LeVay Satanism. All right. Yeah. Now these guys, these same guys in the future will get fed up with LeVay and Satanism and how soft they're being about going after the Christian church. And a lot of them will switch to theistic Satanism. Yep. However, from the start, the idea is that they want to use music and whatever art that they can get out mass produced to go after the Christian church. And the reason is because when the Christian church integrates into a civilization, time after time, what they will do is dig up all the historical records if they can, especially religious records. So let's say like in Norway, what they did was they came to Norway And uh, this was like, basically you had the Vikings and then the Vikings just had territory spread out. And what happened to the Vikings is that they got into it with uh, the Mongolians, right? Uh, And the Mongolians had moved on and they had kind of started to like 
interbreed with the Huns, I think. I don't want to be wrong on a podcast. But basically, you had the Asian side that was conquering the world. And you had the Vikings that were like unintentionally conquering the world. They didn't have the want to take over anything in the sense of uh, gathering riches or building a giant kingdom. If you were a successful Viking, what you would do is have the most landmass around you that was unoccupied, called a dead zone. So if you were like the greatest Viking king, there you would be in total isolation because everyone knew if we go within this many feet of this guy, we're going to get ripped apart. And so what Vikings would do is when the rivers that were close to them melted, they would go out and they would even trade with the Mongolians, get supplies. But what would happen half the time is that they would show up drunk and just want to fight everybody. So they may come for a battle or they may come to trade goods with you. Who knows? If they showed up for battle, these people, and we're talking about uh, the Asian cultures that were doing battle with the Vikings. These are the most advanced militaries of the day. They did a great job at keeping notes, working on tactics. There's several books that were made by the Mongolians and the Huns of like fighting different civilizations and cultures, how to defeat those cultures. And the only thing they could come up with for fighting Vikings was take the high ground, do not engage them, keep as much distance between you and them until their liquor dries up and they'll go home. (laughs) So Vikings' idea is just to occupy as much land as they can. And then, you know, they had a real driven sense of fighting for Odin. They were pagans, and they had their own particular set of gods within paganism. They're very close to the earth. They're some of the best farmers, some of the earliest what you would consider a chef by using like farm-to-table style cooking to prepare elaborate meals and recipes and alcohol and really knew how to live in a harsh environment. Harsh though lush. They had great soil, but extreme cold to combat. They knew how to make that land work for them, and they were a very tribal, no need to grow civilization. So the only way that the Asian societies were able to integrate and make things work with the Vikings was to slowly get them to will to their culture, right? So you had these warriors on both sides but the vikings were not progressing in like a scholastic way at all they just wanted to get bigger stronger more powerful and uh worship their gods the way that they saw fit meanwhile these other cultures are learning as much as they can getting better at writing recording studying mathematics building and once they meet with the Vikings, they end up seeing what could be a powerful ally. You know, if they, they're learning, the Mongolians would take in things that they took over. And so they're starting to learn that through breeding with different cultures, the kids that come from that have different attributes, you know, bigger, stronger. So they're trying to get the Vikings in on their ship. So they start showering the Vikings with gold. They start trying to tame the Vikings and it works. That's where you get like the Visigoths from, which ends up becoming like Germanic people, which ends up becoming like Russian people too. That's all rooted from Vikings blending with the Eastern culture. So once they tame them down by basically 
Easternizing them at the time, like basically what we call Westernizing now, like taming down this wild culture that's just tribal and off on its own, they start bringing them onto their ship. And around this time is when Christianity starts sweeping through. So basically, and I'm sure I'm going to fuck this up. Believe me, I'm no historical professor. And the reason I'm going through all this is just to give you an idea of what the Christian church does to corrupt things. So from the merging of the Vikings and the Mongolians, you get the Visigoths, which I Char, I don't I can't remember if Charlemagne is the original or the second in line. It was either is Charlemagne Alexander the Great's dad or grandfather? Anybody know? No. It's his grandfather? Believes. So. Okay, so Charlemagne uh god damn it, I hate drawing blanks. There's Charlemagne and there's another C name, the guy that wrote the Bible. Uh, anybody talking about um, Constantine Constantine okay okay so Charlemagne's the original Charlemagne is right well I think Charlemagne yeah no Charlemagne's first because Charlemagne is learning he's very interested in learning how to read and learning how to write but his generation didn't have that so he takes Constantine and learns like he Constantine is like the first totally educated leader so he's like the king of this Visigoth kingdom, which is the Vikings blended with the Mongolians. And he learns to read and write. He's a scholar. He learns about religion. And so Charlemagne knows what he wants to convey. Constantine is the vessel. And what they do is they end up inventing the New Testament to control the population. Because instead of dividing and conquering and fighting, if you can make people think if they don't do the things you want them to do... When they die, they're going to go to a hell, which is way worse than anything they're going to go through while they're alive. It's the perfect governing system. So Constantine writes this goddamn Bible, and then Alexander the Great is the next person to take all of this combined knowledge from the Vikings and the Mongolians and the Huns into this race and really start pushing the agenda to take over the world. And he's doing it on the back of... Christianity. And they know that if there's a culture that has their own religion from experience from dealing with the Vikings, that they have to stomp it out. Because to control these people, they don't want to fight with them. They don't want to have the people be unhappy either. They look at it as a more humane way to deal with the culture. Rather than go in and burn everything to the ground and trample them underfoot, they just bring the gospel. Maybe they have a war. Maybe they don't. But at the end of the day, they're trying to save these people. They want them to go to heaven. And they know up top that it's a fucking sham to get all of those sweet simoleons. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But the only way to control these people is to totally reverse what they knew. And in these days, you don't have computers, no hard drives, no backups. You just have people telling other people's stories. And if they had progressed long enough to write it down, they're going to take that away and destroy it. So by the time their grandkids come around, it's all forgotten. So what they're mad about and what tons of cultures around the world are mad about is that Christianity trampled upon their accurate historical records. They've been doing that. They still do that. Uh, For sure. Missionaries go to other countries and they try to share share the word of the Lord with other people. But what they don't realize is they're, they're also, in many cases, erasing history for another culture because of the, because of what they want them to believe because they think that this is that and 
and there's only one God and this all this other bullshit, but it's all about money at the end of the day. That's exactly what I'm saying. And it started off that way, and even as it went through generations of Christians, if you're a pure-hearted Christian and you believe all you're doing is trying to save your fellow man, but the only way to do that is to erase what they know, that can't be the right thing to do. Yeah. And if that, you, Listen, if you're going to tithe 10% of your wages to some dude in a fucking suit with a tie... Who's fucking driving around a cool car, but they don't pay taxes because of their religious shit? That's that's stupid. Here's what's cool about Satanism is Levain Satanism, they pay taxes. Oh, They're yeah. the only religion that pays taxes in right. America. They won't take a tax exempt status. Nope. They pay more taxes than they're supposed to. And they still donate to charities and do tons of charitable yeah. work. Now, I myself am not a Levay Satanist, but I do appreciate... it's Levay Satanism is basically a real churched up way to troll people as an atheist. Yeah. If you're an atheist through and through and you really want to make a silly teehee in the face of a Christian, you'll say you're a Satanist. Calling yourself a Satanist under the guise of LaVey is simply to slap Christianity in the face. It's a shock factor. And I can get behind being shocked. I consider, uh, you know, I wouldn't call myself an atheist, you know? I'm not either. So it doesn't apply to me, but I understand that. And they've done some hilarious things. They've also done some great things. So I've got no problem with them. And that is originally where black metal was at. Just using Satan as anti-religion. Just being blasphemous. Not legitimately being satanic yet. And this is my favorite era of black metal. Because you have these uh, kids... That um, the so Mayhem is the first band, right? And Dark Throne starts about a year after Mayhem. Mayhem hadn't played any shows, and they were all friends together. So you know it's hard to say who came first. Mayhem uh, put out the second record. Dark Throne put out the first, but Mayhem played shows first. So we'll say Mayhem came first by like a year. Mayhem became a band because. All four of them were independently at an ACDC show, and they all had a venom patch on the back of their jean jacket. So they just congregated upon each other from being like the only four people there that were into venom and got together, which is how metal worked before the internet. Yeah. If you, I mean, still today, if I see someone that's blatantly into good metal in public, we'll probably end up shaking hands and having. I'll talk to. You know, exchanging social media. Just to see where we're at. But before social media, you just had to dive in on the person. You know, you wanted to know what records they had. They wanted to know what records you had. And you would get together and, and start bands. That's how bands would start. So that's how Mayhem got started. It was a guy, and they were all played instruments separately. Two of them already had like a drum and guitar thing going on. And they came together to form Mayhem. Now, there was already death metal at this point. There was Celtic Frost, the Napalm Death. Uh, like I said, Venom. These are the bands that they're listening to. You looked at me funny there. Uh, I wouldn't consider Celtic Frost a death metal band. No, no, no. But there is death metal. Like th- these are okay. I, all right. So there, there's death metal. Like England has got a big death metal scene. Yeah. Sweden's got a pretty big death metal scene. They like Celtic Frost and Venom, but I was just saying that like Napalm Death is already out. Is like the biggest death metal band I can think of. I think Carcass was already out. I think Cargus had put uh, out the... I, would, uh, I think Benediction. Benediction was out. around. Yeah, you wore a Benediction shirt. I wore a Benediction shirt. Uh, Possessed? 
possessed, but they're from uh, Cal- they're from uh, San Francisco. Okay, they were they would people would consider well they're a thrash band. Yeah, but they would consider that's early death metal. That the first death metal band. I think so. And so I, when you hear it, it's like yeah, it's thrash with some harsher vocals. But yeah. really, the band Death with Chuck Schuliner is the the first death metal band. Right, so right. That's where it all kind of took off. Okay, yeah, good. That's why you're here. So we get the death metal coming over, and uh, they like the music of death metal. And again, the reason I gave you that whole Viking backstory is to show you that people in Norway are extreme people. You know. Your beliefs throughout tradition die hard. And obviously they're mad. Um, you'll see, we, you guys already know that they've burned some churches. The churches that got burned, those were originally pagan worship sites that they just came in and built these elaborate churches on to try to show the people like, hey, we've got all this money. We're going to help your community out. Look how beautiful this building is. We're really enhancing what you've got going on here. Really just a middle finger to your religion. Exactly. And so these guys are listening to death metal, and they also hear the lyrics. And a lot of the time with death metal, even though the writing's usually great, it's like a real tongue-in-cheek situation. You know, death metal usually is about murder, gore, guts. It's like a fun horror movie packed on top of driving shit. And they like the driving shit, but they don't want to be corny. These are extreme guys who are taking that Viking spirit and want to push it into a different genre of music. They want to carve their own path, and they legitimately want to end Christianity. Not a fake in Christianity. Not a, I just carved Slayer into my arm at school in Christianity. A real deal, holy war, fight Christianity, at least out of our country. And that and I, that's also I think why they use some of the symbolism they used in in black metal is because uh, if the Christians' biggest enemy also I think the biggest selling point is hell and demons and the devil, why not pretend like you're part of the legion of Satan and scare the shit out of them? Yeah, and and make them really fucking like question everything. Like, yeah, make them fucking sweat too. You should. And the, and the best part is, is man, like along all this stuff, everybody's like, well, we got we got to hire an expert. All the experts on Satanism and all this shit at that time are all Christians, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Okay, every expert before the internet is full of shit. Yeah, <laughs> they're all non-certified. Any expert you see on TV, throw their opinion away. Um, but yeah, this is my favorite era of black metal because what happened is they're coming into their own sound. So what they're doing is using the music of death metal and trying to strip it down and make it their own. So the first albums that came out from Mayhem and Dark Throne and Immortal are coming into their own, but it's tinged with death metal riffs. And them trying to find this raw, broken down vocal style. The first Burzum. You know, all these albums have a death metal feel to them. But the way that they put it onto a record just makes you feel cold. You want to put a jacket on. It's a dark, ethereal, really from the heart feeling. And I love, this is the second wave of black metal. And those first albums that came out, I think, have never been topped in any genre, I would go as far as to no. say. Because no one has ever put such raw emotion into a music. And when you think about emotional music, you would think about like Morrissey and the Smiths. But this is 
pure hatred for something. And this is a group of people who have all the free time in the world to sit around and talk about the demise of Christian churches in their area. And they went hard at it. Yeah, they were not being pussies about it. They were serious. So now that we know the modus operandi, I'm going to introduce the listeners to the main characters. So as we progress, when I say a name, you'll be able to associate them with what band they belong to and what role they play in this. All right. So we've got the most famous, probably Varg Vikernes, AKA Count Grishnak of Burzum. We've got Bard Ethion, AKA Faust, who is the drummer from Emperor. Oh, by the way, Varg played everything in Burzum. He did all the instruments. Yep. He recorded the drums, the bass, the guitar, the keyboards, the vocals, and he did them at analog. You know what I mean? There was no tricks. It was just straight up him playing great music. Just the shittiest music equipment you could get. Shittiest yeah, he amp. did it on purpose. You know, all of this music, again, they did not want to sound like anything else. And that means that they were completely rejecting any music that had been made before, including production value. They wanted it to sound like shit. They ended up, like, Varg ended up recording through a pair of headphones. That's his first microphone. And using a, but he was in a legitimate studio. You know, he had a good producer, but he was like, we have got to make it, we want it to be leveled right, but to sound like dog shit. Um, and okay, so we got Faust, the drummer for Emperor, Oystein Arseth, aka Euronymous, the owner of Helvet, and the guitar player of Mayhem. This is who invented what we would consider the black metal riff. Yeah. He was the first person to take this particular chord progression that Celtic Frost was working on and really strip it down and kind of play it in a different key and almost backwards. I just added that extra little pinky and some minor notes, yeah. dude, and it just is the fucking, yeah. like, it sets the atmosphere for everything. And if you hear any second wave black metal, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like a non-stop, highly tuned, like a high E, like an E sharp. It is standard tuning. Progressive scale. Just fucking hitting it, man. It sounds. It does sound cold. Yeah, it sounds cold. It sounds That's like you're trapped in a... describe it, I think. You, you're trapped in a blizzard, man. Yeah. Yeah, and then... So, Euronymous is credited with being the first guitar player to really hit this sound. Per Olin, that's dead. He was the original singer of Mayhem. Uh, Gil Nagal, that's Fenris. He is the drummer... Well, also plays everything else in Dark Throne. Dark Throne over the years has been Fenris and Nocturnus Colta, who basically play everything. They write albums together as a two-person unit. They've been in tons. They've all mixed members around, but these are our top players. All yeah, right? Nocturnus Colta and Fenris are, are they really are the main guys, and they're really just, in my opinion, set the standard. Like there's people that created things in black metal, but they set the standard of black metal. I agree. Dark Throne is by far my favorite black metal band. I think they have the best catalog. I think that they're the least dorky of this whole movement. They're pretty regular guys. They're smart. They're easy to listen to. Uh, I watched Until the Light Takes Us. I I basically watched everything I could, read everything I could, and in interviews and everything, they're the most across-the-board level. They don't try to over-exaggerate and have any selling points. 
they're more focused on the music, and Dark Throne always has been. They don't need a crazy backstory to sell their product. Yeah. They know Wait, that. And, and, you know, the thing that's cool about it is, like, if you do watch that documentary until the light takes us, I mean, like, the opening scene is him on a train, and these people pull him off, and they start searching him, and he has to go. He comes back, and he's like, I had to tell him I had tear gas. I signed off. I had it, but they didn't find the drugs. Yeah, And yeah. he sits down, you know, and it's like. Yeah, there's nobody like, cooler than that. No, nah, he's the coolest guy. Uh, yeah. I named my dog Finris. <laughs> he, he's a cool ass dude. Um, Helvet is the record store, like I said, that Euronymous owns. All these bands are hanging out there. Mayhem's got their house. That's where they practice at. But during the day, they either work at Helvet or they just hang out there. And they are what you would consider elitists. So there's a group of guys hanging out, and they're older than most of the kids that are into heavy metal. So you got a lot of kids coming in and out of the store. And it's like, uh, you know, if you see me and Buddy at a metal show, you want to come around and talk about wild shit with us. But we probably don't have that much in common. And we're probably already engaged in conversation, so you might get brushed away. Not necessarily because we're rude. We're just already talking. You know what I mean? And uh, just having the biggest members of the biggest bands hanging out in that record store is like an attraction for people that like metal to come there. And so they sell records, they sell posters, they sell t-shirts, that type of shit. It's not like the most tremendously successful business, but like I said, the government supports Euronymous anyway, so it doesn't matter how much they sell. So they're not trying to make money hand over fist off selling records. They're just trying to have a culture, and they really carve that out. They're able to hang out there all the time. So every day you had the members of Mayhem, Dark Throne, and Emperor there at any given time, and if they weren't there, they were practicing. So it just becomes this whole culture that everyone kind of knows about in Oslo. And everyone kind of is either afraid of or drawn to it. So they're already carving out their own thing in Oslo, which is the biggest city in Norway. Um, and again, um, all right, so I already went through all this. I'm just looking at my notes. I went backwards, so sorry for one second. Um, and Euronymous, again, from Mayhem and Varg, they're what I would consider the leaders of what's going on because they're the most vocal. You know, obviously, Euronymous has got the business, so he's got money, he's got respect, and Mayhem rules. He's a great guitar player. And then you got Varg. So Euronymous was around first, and Varg was already making Burzum music before he came and started hanging out with everybody. He's also, like, six years younger than everybody else. So they had this whole scene going on. Varg comes along. Varg had the type of growing up where he was in a rough and rough house. He would be like in the poverty level of Norway, which is pretty unusual. Like he had like a pretty humble farm life. So he saw a lot of hardships that the other guys didn't see. So they really respected that perspective, you know, because they were handed everything and he was kind of used to hard work. But because he came from that environment and he came from like the older ways of Norway, he had a bigger chip on his shore than everyone else. Well, he had a bigger chip too because his dad had gotten a job somewhere in the Middle East. I don't remember what his dad did. But um, he was talking about going to school there and how there was a line drawn between, I don't, we'll get into this in the third episode with the National Social Black Middle, but right. how there was a, a, a line drawn between race and because he was white, he had more privilege. Right. White privilege. Anyway, but he, but he uh, discussed that in a lot of, a lot of the things that he was uh, talking about in his music and some other things, but he was also outspoken about. Um, the Jews and all these other yeah. things, even though it was just real fucking stupid shit. But he he's a highly intelligent guy. Yes. And he might even be on the spectrum. Yes. 
But um, yes, he's autistic for sure. I can he, see it in his eyes. I mean, he might be. His wife is for sure. Oh, she's retarded. <laughs> <laughs> but like uh, he he uh, he he talks about things that make no sense, but he tries to make sense out of them. And yeah. if you're a dumb shit, yeah, he'll believe rambler. it. Right? Believe yeah, he it. talks people into shit. And uh, you know, the thing about Varg is all the shit that he talks. Man, does he back it up? He doesn't give a. fuck. Fuck. No. Varg is wild. But yeah, that's the next thing I was fixing to say is that Varg's dad had a traveling job to earn ends meet. They had to move around a lot. All these guys are in Norway. Like I said, again, the reason I brought this stuff up is because Norway didn't allow immigration. It was Norwegians only. And in the early 90s, that was a hot topic of debate, which ended up working out in people that wanted to immigrate's favor because they ended up allowing immigration. But in the news at the time, that's all they're talking about is like, okay, we have this sect of politician that wants to be liberal and open our borders up. And then we have the old way, which is we have tons of money. We're taking care of ourselves. Let's not let anyone else in. But Varg's dad has been traveling around the world and Varg is the only person that's seen other cultures firsthand. And Probably mostly from just being a new kid in a totally different place where you don't speak the language and you're not used to the culture, he doesn't like anybody else. And on top of that, his dad uh, had swastika flags hanging in their living room. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. His dad's a, a Nazi, for sure. Yeah. I think that Varg, I'm pretty sure Varg's German, like if the heritage-wise. Yeah. Um, Norse and German, whatever. Anyway, um, I don't want to get into Varg's whole life story. Perhaps yeah. we can do a separate podcast on that. But what I'm getting at is that Euronymous, the guy that owns the record store, is older. He's got all these ideas. He hates the Christian church as well. Uh, he really loves the idea of having all these young metal kids looking up to him. That's his shit. Like, they think that he is evil personified. Like, the young kids that are going to shows and shit, they feel like mayhem is pure evil. And that's what they need to sell records. Before Mayhem put out Death Crush, their first album, they sent postcards to every record label they could get the address for, to every person on any tape trading list they could get the record for, to just say, we're here to destroy the Christian church. And that's it. And then the record followed that. They already had a huge buzz based on that before they put out any music. So when Death Crush came out, it blew up right away because they were already putting this image out there. And they had pictures taken of themselves where it's just death in the dark and corpse paint. No one had used corpse paint before. I mean, you had people painting their face. You had uh, Tom Warrior that wore the black eye circles. Alice Cooper kiss that type of shit, but these uh, Corathon from Bathory too. Yeah, yeah, okay, and that, yeah, Bathory's another important band that we should mention. To here. me, the most important. I love Bathory too, and so I feel bad for not shouting them out now. Anyway, they're putting out this image, and Euronymous just becomes about the life, and that's kind of where he slips up because he ends up not so much being about the message, but about the attention. So he's got all these radical talks. And he's trying to hype all these kids up and make himself seem evil, make himself seem like he's going to go to war and start setting churches on fire, make it seem like he's going to start murdering Christians. But he won't do anything. No. He just talks. And then... He, he was uh, like into the... Uh, uh, he was a real Marxist. He, he was a communist. Yeah. And so... It, it's so weird because... like you He know, was everything extreme, though. So he when wanted you say to, yeah. that, keep in mind... That he's doing that to be like 
it, ideally Shocking. he was he was extremist. I mean, he really didn't do shit. Exactly. He just talked about it. He wanted to uh, have extreme views, but never really do anything with them. Right. Um, and that's where Varg came in. So when Varg came along, yeah, that opened up to have somebody younger that was going to take the people that had been listening to Euronymous and actually take them out to do some shit. So Varg is with the shit. Yeah. Euronymous, it, not with it. It's a Norwegian dick measuring contest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, man, is that... Uh, Again, for all the shit talk, Varg ain't fucking around. Varg's dick is huge. And so, Mayhem puts out Death Crush. And it's a huge album. They're doing great. They're making money. They're touring around. Again, they had their own house. Um, They built up a giant image. And a lot of that was based on their singer, Dead. Yep. Now, Dead was what I would consider an enigma. And he was the perfect person to be where he was at that time. Because there was no front man that had ever been like this before, and the way he sold himself was way over the top. And we'll find out why after I explain Mayhem just a little bit more. Um, again, yeah, and they, they ended up mailing out a manifesto with Death Crush. So there was like the first edition of Death Crush, which apparently if you have it, it's worth like $80,000. It's a lot of money. It's got a manifesto inside of it where they're talking about taking down the Christian church. Um, and Dead was the vocal piece for it. He didn't, him and Euronymous both wrote the lyrics. Dead moved to Norway from Sweden. And he was legitimately obsessed with death. Hence the fantastic name, Dead. I'm talking... So obsessed with death that Dead used to keep any dead animal that he would find under his bed until the stink would waft into the other rooms, just so he could get the smell of death. He, uh, I don't, I mean, I'm, I mean, I hope I'm not jumping ahead here, but you he, are. Am I? Yeah, I'm going through all of it. Okay. <laughs> he got so into smelling dead animals and getting the fucking. This is a hot new drug. I'm gonna bring it around. If you guys are ready for this, he would take a dead bird. And put it inside of a Ziploc bag and take it to band practice and huff the dead bird to get inspiration. Well, if he had a goddamn lung from a <laughs> yeah. previous episode, that'd yeah, be let's the not coolest. forget the huff lung. <laughs> now, if you can take a bird that you find on the side of the road and stuff it inside of a lung and get those death fumes in there with some spray paint and lung fucking fumes, you're gonna make a killer record. You're gonna make history. You're gonna make the <laughs> next genre of music that no one can believe. Um, Dead even went so far as to be uh, shallowly buried in a coffin for two days and one and a half nights. Being underground in a coffin and not able to move, he got a fungus under his eyelids, which is something that a real dead person gets for his trouble. That's all fun and games, but Dead had severe mental problems. Oh yeah, for sure. Dead was depressed, and what happened is he was in an accident when he was a kid, and he was dead for over eight minutes. So because that happened, when he, when he died, he had the whole, like, go towards the light, bright lights, euphoric feeling that a lot of people have when they have a near-death experience. And this is like, that's where I was going to go, or I wasn't trying to jump ahead or anything, but uh, I think that, uh, it wasn't it because he was submerged under cold water for a long time? Yeah. He, he may have fell off a boat or something like that. I can't, 
I couldn't find what the exact accident was, but he drowned in cold water, and they pulled him out, and it took them seven minutes plus to revive him. Yeah, he, he never really shared anything personal about his life to not anybody. A lot. No, um, not a lot. But what he did share, he wrote down. He left journals and lyrics and shit like that, and that's how they figured this stuff out. He probably suffered from a disease that's called the Cotter Delusion, a.k.a. Walking Corpse Syndrome which happens to a lot of people that are dead for a long time on the table and have a near-death experience, they end up being so obsessed with that feeling that they got that they think that they actually died and are just a corpse getting through another part of life. So April 8th, 1991, death had told Euronymous that he was ready to kill himself and he was having suicidal thoughts and so Euronymous went out of town, left Dead alone in the Mayhem house, and uh, that is when Death slit his wrists. Dead. Then slit his throat. I'm sorry. That's when Dead <laughs> slit his wrists, slit his throat, and when that didn't work, shotgunned his brain out. Yeah. Euronymous was the first person to come back and discover him because, like I said, Euronymous basically knew that Dead was going to kill himself. Now, there was a rumor that circulated that Euronymous actually killed Dead, but that got quelched because it verifiable that Euronymous made sure people knew where he was. He showed his well, face. Well, not only that, I think, you know, Varg even said himself, he said that Uranus was out of town. Exactly. So He planned yeah. it and made sure people could verify that he was out of town. Yeah. So he came back after a short trip. He had to break in the Mayhem house, and he found dead laying in the kitchen with his knife slit open and brains blown all apart. Now, if I walked in on your bloody body... I can't say exactly what I would do. I would panic, lose my mind, hate everything, but I would definitely call the cops. <laughs> probably yeah, right away. Hell yeah. Like, hey, we got to sort this shit out. Euronymous went and grabbed his camera and filled the entire roll of film up with pictures of Dead's body. Yep. And then called his friends and then called the cops. Now, it's speculated that that's purely to get. Um, they used the most gnarliest picture of the whole thing on the infamous Mayhem album, Dawn of the Blackhearts. That was the album cover. Yeah. Highly controversial, but that sold them almost a million records because really of did. the album cover being so controversial. Um, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he like he had the foresight of that. In what, um, I'm not going to read that part of Dead Suicide. Basically, Dead said in his note, like, hey, I left all my journals, all my lyrics, all my shit, the money I've got, if you find it first, it's yours. I feel like he, before he got the camera, probably went and found all his shit and then was like, well, this is going to be grim. He also took pieces. The rumor circulated that he made a soup out of his brain and ate it. Not necklace. True. Oh, everybody had a necklace made out of his skull fragment. He like did he's... take a skull fragment and make himself a necklace out of it. Okay. None he did. were circulated. Yes, okay. but he didn't get a whole bunch for the squad. And he got the skull fragment after the site was cleaned up. It wasn't a thought that he had right away. There was just a piece of it left over, and he ended up making a necklace out of it. 
And all these rumors were exacerbated that Mayhem ate their singer. You know, all bullshit. All bullshit. Um, CSI Oslo. And, you know, what you have at the end of the day is super depressing because this guy was going to be, in the metal world, a huge star. You know, who knows where... I mean, Mayhem's huge, but who knows how big they could have gotten with a true genius like Dead at the helm of that, moving him along and his vision, you know? I mean, mean, you think of, like, uh, Dead's prior band, Morbid, was was pretty much a thrash band, but when you hear his vocals, it is... Some of the most like, I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's very depressing. But yeah, it, and it's sad. It reminds me of is like if a Catholic priest turned into a zombie and was coming out of a crypt <laughs> yeah. and had to breathe cold air for the first time. I mean, that's what he sounds. It's like. very high pitch, and uh, I mean, I love that Death Crush record that Dead sings on because when he, I mean, on a, you know, as a vocalist, uh, like a newer vocalist, like just. When you push like when you push yourself um, to to get the uh, the yell the scream out, you can really feel it inside of you. You can hear the inside of Dead's lungs as he pushes the volume of those screams out. I mean, he is really agonized when he's putting these lyrics on. To I might record. be wrong about this, but I'm not sure if Dead was on Death Crush. I think there was a guy that left the band. Uh, Dead's on and Death Crush. And then he sang only on two songs on uh, The Mysterious uh, Satanus or whatever, but then the only like full recording is him in, live in Leipzig, but I might be wrong. I'm 98% sure that Dead is Death Crush. Okay. I hate that you brought it up because now I'm unsure, but I'm pretty sure Dead's Death Crush, man. Yeah, I, I just bring it up because I'm unsure and I don't want to be wrong. So yeah, I don't want to be wrong either. If right? we're this wrong, is the easy way out. We're no experts. We're yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, idiots. Yeah. Look yeah. at us. If you're on the YouTube live stream, we're gross. We don't don't trust us. But this is the way that I want it to be. <laughs> uh, death. Why do I keep saying that shit? Dead's suicide note is famous, and I'll read it to you right now. Excuse the blood, but I have slit my wrists and neck. It was the intention that I would die in the woods so it would take a few days before I was possibly found. I belong in the woods and have always done so. No one will understand the reason for this anyway. To give some semblance of an explanation, I'm not human. This is just a dream and soon I will awake. See, it's that walking corpse shit. It was too cold, and the blood was coagulating all the time. Plus, my new knife is too dull. If I don't succeed by dying to the knife, I will blow the shit out of my skull. Yet I do not know. I left all my lyrics by Let the Good Times Roll. (laughs) Let the Good Times Roll! Plus the rest of the money. Whoever finds it gets the fucking thing. As a last salutation, may I present life eternal. Do whatever you want with the fucking thing. Pell. I didn't come up with this now, but 17 years ago. And uh, here's the lyrics to Life Eternal, which Mayhem did record. Yeah. Um, a dream of another existence. You wish to die a dream of another world. You pray for death to release the soul. One must die to find peace inside you. You must get eternal. I am a mortal, but am I human? How beautiful life is now when my time has come a human destiny, but nothing human inside. What will be left of me when I'm dead? There was nothing when I lived. 
What you found was an eternal death. No one will ever miss you. Sad. Yeah. And uh, that was his legacy. He just couldn't be alive anymore. I understand that. Man, you know what? Can I share a hilarious story? Please do. Man, uh, there is a time period where... Yeah, he kind of lived wherever the fuck. Like he, he just like he would camp out in the woods sometimes. He would stay on people's couches. Yeah. Uh, there's one night that I read that Euronymous was sharing, I think, with the magazine or somebody, where he said that he was sleeping in in his house or in the Mayhem practice space or whatever, and Euronymous was playing music real loud, and so Dead got pissed about it and said, "Fuck it, I'm going outside." And he went outside to sleep, and so. Just to piss dead off, Uranus walked outside with a shotgun and just shot it off. Just fucking <laughs> disturb him, you know? Yeah, they did hilarious shit, too. I don't want people to think that this was all like a sullen, mad, angry time. Uh, the guys in Dark Throne are fucking hilarious. Yeah. Uh, they, they like the Swedish scene and the North scene have beef with each other, mostly because the North scene just talked a whole bunch of shit about death metal once they started rolling. They were just like, death metal is old. It's bullshit. Everyone involved is fake. This is true chaos, true Satanism, true hatred of all things. Death metal is false metal. And so the Swedish guys are like, fuck these fucking dorks. And the Swedish band went on record to say, so right as uh, right when Dark Throne put out a blaze in the northern sky, so Dark Throne uh, got signed to like a... Well, they got signed to Peaceville. Yeah, like a big record label for yeah. that type of band. And uh, they had never heard Dark Throne before. So Dark Throne goes and they record a blaze in the northern sky and they send it to them and they're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, this is not... Music or a record sounds like shit. It sounds like you guys recorded a fart inside of a trash can. And uh, they Fenris is like, okay, fine. Don't release the album. We'll just have Euronymous put it out. We don't give a fuck. And so the Peaceful label is like, well, this band has got such a buzz. We're going to look like idiots if we cut them. And then they sell independently tons of records. And, you know, of course, Peaceful is so lucky that they kept them on the label because that sold like almost that's, 2 million fucking records. I think that's their highest selling record to this day. And it's the best black metal record, I think, bar none. It's anyway, great. so they put that out. They're doing tons of interviews talking shit about black metal or um, death metal. So the Swedish guys are like, these fucking dorks have been playing death metal. This is just death metal. They're posers. And so fucking uh, Fenris and uh, Nocturnus Cultus start calling this dude that's, like, one of the main guys in a Swedish band. I can't remember the name. At, like, all hours of the night. And they have this fucking Swedish lullaby. And they record it, like, super high pitch. And they play it on fast forward. So it's like... <laughs> and then they'll be like, You're gonna die! You're gonna die! You're gonna die! And, like, do it to him over and over and over and over, like, every night. And so finally they're like, uh, they're like, All right, like, we're gonna fucking find out who's doing this and, like, come kill you, like, over the phone. And they, they're like, all right, we'll show up at this address. And the Swedish band travels all the way to the address. And they call it and play the fucking recording again. <laughs> <laughs> that is some hilarious shit. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's not all gloom and doom. And like I said, Dark Throne, those guys are pretty fucking cool. Um, they're not all super dorks. And the climate at the time is, I mean, there is a sense of humor about it. But, again, you got the... The guys who are in the original wave, the sane people, 
They know they're doing cool shit, and they know that they need to have a particular image to sell records. They're not with Varg. They're not with Euronymous. You know, they like them and shit, but they've heard Euronymous talk shit for years and never do anything. So he can say whatever he wants to, and they're not going to think that it's serious. You know what I mean? The problem is, with all these kids that are coming around, they don't know that side that's never done shit. And Varg is with the shit. And he is going to take these kids and force Euronymous to join him into going way off the rails. All right? And when it starts to happen, it's a very fast cycle. They don't get a lot of time to get away with this shit. And it's all their fault. You're going to find out what a fucking dork Varg can be in the next episode. Um, but where the crime starts to take place, when police really start to start taking them seriously and not as like a bunch of goofy gothic teenagers, is in August of 1992, police find the body of Magni Andresian. He's a openly gay man that's been stabbed to death in Lillehammer. And around Lillehammer is where, like, Emperor came from. They're younger. They're a really good band. And because they're a good band, they had been in legit theistic Satanism. They're looking into, like, black magic. They are legitimately sacrificing animals and shit like that. Like, they're taking things that they read from Crowley and other shit that came from Crowley and, like, kind of self-interpreting some of the ceremonies and cutting corners and, like, spilling blood of small animals and shit like that. And uh, Euronymous gets a real big boner for that, obviously. Oh, yeah. So, because they're with the shit, they get on board and... This is kind of a storm. So, coincidentally, around this time is when Emperor ends up relocating to Oslo, where they're going to work in... They they all work at Helvet. They're all hanging around with everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to spill the beans of what happened on the murder to leave us off with a cliffhanger, but I will say that police had absolutely no suspects in that murder. Whoever in this group that killed this openly gay man could have gotten away with it smooth because it didn't fit their M.O. at all, you know? And it was Varg that got the police involved in this whole thing, right? Um, We're going to learn in the next episode why there was a criminal investigation launched into everyone that was hanging around Helvet. And uh, what kicked it all off is that Varg, wanting to drum up more attention for himself and sell more Brazoom records, and just pushing things to the extreme, he wrote an entire article which had a very exaggerated account of things that were going on at the time and sent it in to this reporter. Now, I'll say he's a reporter, but he's like a National Enquirer type of writer for the newspaper. He's like a gossip columnist, right? Yeah. So he's like a easy target. And we've been talking about how smart Varg is. Varg is extremely manipulative and he's a for sure sociopath if you watch him you can tell that his man and he openly will tell you what he gets off on is manipulating people to do what he wants and this is a prime example of him honing that craft not quite being a master of it and fucking it up for everybody so next week we're gonna jump into the church burnings the murder and how Varg 
really ruin that whole culture. Sound like a good stopping point to you? Sounds like a good stopping point. But you know what's a good beginning point for everybody? What's that? Check out Death Crush. Mm. Check out In the Night Side of Clips. Oh, can you pull those lyrics up? I can dick around yeah, yeah, for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this week, um, we always, you know, I'm sure you've tuned in to Death Metal Dicks before. If you haven't, welcome. I think we're going to have a bunch of new listeners because there's not any podcasts that I think do a good job of explaining the back history of black metal. So welcome to the show. Glad you tuned in. Um, what we do is compare crimes each week to a death metal song. Well, this week we're doing true black metal, and I decided to compare that to Mayhem's song, Chainsaw, Gutfuck. Now, I could have gone with uh, Life Eternal, but the reason I chose Chainsaw, Gutfuck is because I think that it's the perfect middle of the road where you have these guys playing death metal and trying to make it their own. You got the lyrics pulled up, buddy? Yep. Fantastic. So, um, without further ado, we're going to read to you Mayhem's Chainsaw Gutsfuck. Oh. Why? Why? Great. Great. Well, this, Buddy is not technologically advanced. It's not that. It's his goddamn phone's technologically advanced. They had to play a Honda commercial. All right. All right. Bleed down. <laughs> you ready? Yes, Here we go. Buddy, I'm ready for my favorite segment of the show when you read. <laughs> Bleed down to the fucking core. You're going down for fucking more. Screw your slimy guts driving me fucking nuts. Chainsaw in my bleeding hands. As I start to cut you cut you into two, your guts are steaming out and I just love the sight. <laughs> Maggot's crawling in her cunt. I just love to lick that shit. Bury you in a slimy grave. You will rot forever there. See, that's classic death metal. That's awesome, man. It's a good time. But like I said, that's where they're starting to take death metal and strip it down and make it their own. And I think Death Crush is a fantastic example. Look, let's give you some homework for next week. First of all, give us a fucking five-star rating. This is a five-star podcast. Where else are you going to sit down and get some Viking history mixed in with true black metal history from a non-biased perspective from two dorks? Nowhere. No fucking place. And let me tell you, when you give us that five-star review, make us feel bad about ourselves. Give us a hard insult. No one's done it yet. Should I keep advertising yeah, this? Yeah, keep doing All right. it, man. You roast us, and I'll read it. If you get us with a good insult, I will read it aloud in our podcast. And if not, uh, if you're too shook to make fun of us, how about you tell us if you like Mayhem's Death Crush, the first Burzum, or... Dark Thrones, A Blaze in the Northern Sky, the best. That's your homework, is listen to those three records. Uh, yeah. I, I would also, I'm going to shout out two Emperor records. Okay. Wrath of the Tyrants. Yeah. And then the most famous one really is is uh, Eclipse. Uh, the Twilight Path. What? Uh, Whoa. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> it's some type of J.R. Tolkien shit. No. If we don't know the name, why are you bringing it up? I You're just, the only person I know that flat out doesn't know, but will just be like, nah. I just brain farted, dude. Uh, so hard. It's like nights, something Nightside Eclipse. In the yeah, Nightside Eclipse. In the Nightside Eclipse. Yeah, Emperor in the Nightside Eclipse. I feel so dumb right now. Yeah, I put a list of the top five black metal albums on the Death Metal Dicks page. Listen to those. 
So you're on the same page with us next week. So we're in the second wave of black metal. Next week, we're going to dig into the church burnings. We're going to dig into the murders. We're going to dig into Varg blowing it and being in prison. And then the third episode, we're going to go with a more modern third wave of black metal and all the crimes that have been committed within that. I also want to do something else. Yeah. Uh, the other day, me and my family decided to go hunting for bones. And we found it like an entire cow, basically, and I got all the bones from it. Whoever leaves us the best roast, I will send them a candle holder made out of bone fragments from a cow. Whoa, up in the stakes. That's I'll pretty do kick it. ass. Let's now, do, do you it. clean the bones? I clean them. Okay. I cleaned them actually today. There's a lot. I've got probably over 60 to 70 bones. How total. do you clean it? Uh, what I do is I put them in a hot. Water in the bathtub, bleach, borax, kind of let it sit for a little oh, bit, yeah. dry it out, and then I boil it to clean it further, and then I'll... Uh, when you, How decayed was it? It's like all the flesh already off, it's down to a skeleton? All the way down to the skeleton. Okay. Some of it was. I did have to carve off some flesh on some pieces, like jaw <coughs> bones and shit. Uh, some of it was pretty fucking gruesome. There's like maggots and fucking ants and shit All in right. it. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. So you could get a previously maggot infested... Cleaned by a hygiene specialist, Buddy Lloyd, <laughs> candle holder sent to your house, all for giving us a five-star review and roasting us. Give I, us a good roast. I will send you that shit. It's yeah, gonna be, it'll be cool. Again, I those five-star reviews help us out so much. We pop up basically anything you search related to what we've got going on, we're popping up in it. So the more reviews we get, the more steam we get, and the more steam we get, you know, the more we're going to do shit like this. So... Like it, love it, and uh, uh, we'll take you out on, uh, I'll tell you this week what you should do to uh, improve your financial life. What is that going to be, Chris? All right, so you're going to find the demon Beelzebub, right? That is the demon prince of greed. You're going to get his sigil, easy to find online conveniently. You're going to draw it up. You're going to have a goal for that. Let's say, uh, and let's make it realistic. That's something that you can obtain. Don't have a goal to present to Beelzebub of, uh, I want to be a millionaire. Have a specific, you know? Like, uh, if you're, if you're uh, like a real estate agent, let's say you have like 10 houses for sale. You want to sell the 10 houses, all right? Say you want to sell them. Say that you want to use... Beelzebub's experience in being greedy in obtaining the wealth. Bring him to you for a specific goal, right? Take that sigil, put it out in front of you. Every time you pull it out, put a dollar on it, all right? Put a dollar on the sigil, light a candle, sit there, meditate, use your mind to focus on the goal. Selling 10 houses. Even if you don't believe in old Beelzebub coming forth, guess what? Now you're putting energy into your goal. You're sitting there meditating and thinking about selling the 10 houses, right? Whatever you want to do, project that off in a pact between you and Beelzebub. Now, here's the kicker. When you're done doing this for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, where you get your mind clear of everything but your goal, jack off. And get your cum, male or female, onto the sigil and the dollar. And then burn it. It's like opening up a bank account. Yeah. It gives you money. It's a wank account. It, it is. It gives you money, 
You're investing in yourself. Yeah. Because you're Satan. Yes. You decided to leave heaven because you didn't want to play no more music anymore for this fucking hippie guy with long ass hair. Right. He's a pussy. Big pussy. And you're tired of it. I'm tired of it. Pour some light a fire, light a candle, and pour the fucking wax on your tits. Yeah. Take a dildo and tit fuck yourself. Take a picture of it and don't send it to us. <laughs> or do. Or do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, guys. You are Satan. You are God. Think about it like this. One of them's a dork and one of them likes cool heavy metal. All right? You pick. Good night. Hail Satan. We'll see you guys next week for part two of True Black Metal.